What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine gains full FDA approval. Director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins. If you had any doubts about whether the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is safe and effective, and most of us haven't had those doubts, FDA is going to tell us, it seems, that those doubts can be removed. And the longest final Jeopardy clue ever. Who is... The show's new host. There's significant risk here for Sony Pictures. Jeopardy is a reliable cash engine. Variety editor Cynthia Littleton and the air is not apparent. Those stories plus Bitcoin on the upswing and Andrew Cuomo on the move. Joe Kernan and Kelly Evans have it all covered. Could you sleep last night? Or the excitement was because uh, we like to be together. It's Monday, August 23rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good Monday morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Kelly Evans, along with Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are off today. Bitcoin topped 50. Is it still up there? It was over 50K at some point in the overnight session, obviously uh, highest since May. Still off, what was it, 64? Two sixty four, Joe. The yep, all-time high. Uh huh. And yeah. there it is, fifty three forty five. Uh-huh. Wow. Ethereum's up. Uh, everything's been moving quite a Are bit. Are you an ether guy too? Uh, I got a little Ethereum. I do. Litecoin. <laughs> uh, no, no, no Doge. No, uh, none of those other ones. No, no, <laughs> crazy thing. But it is interesting that all of a sudden this change in tone. You know, weaker dollar, stronger Asia especially after what a train wreck it's been with a lot of the Chinese stocks, Chinese technology stocks, they come out again swinging in terms of, you know, wealth redistribution and all of that. Yep. And markets are kind of shrugging it off. Again, Bitcoin rallying, and there it is up three. It's good to have you here. I'm trying to figure out a way of steering into you and how, you know, you're a bonus baby like this. Uh, third, third thing here, Rachel Maddow in the Wall Street Journal. This is a huge story that she's staying. Yeah, uh, yes, I think now, you're now very you, interested. I think you're very interested in this do you, story. <laughs> do you get, she's making, we have the same age. You know, he seems to really work hard for her. All right. Uh, Maybe he'll give you a little cut on his commission rate. Do you now get paid in Bitcoin with your huge Rachel Maddow-style bonus? Do you uh, have you requested that? You know, I have. I, I get a. I get upset every time people talk about paying in Bitcoin for anything. Like the other day, there's a mortgage company, and now it's you pay in Bitcoin. Would yeah. you pay for anything in Bitcoin? I have, uh, would I? Of course not. Because you buy a pizza and be able to buy a Ferrari a couple of years later. No, because you pay capital gains tax on it. That's if right. you're up, if you want to do it, you do it when you're down. And you say, okay, I'll take the tax right off and pay for my mortgage or my pizza or whatever. But of course you wouldn't pay for anything in Bitcoin. Maybe you could get paid in it. That's a little different. Don't but. you think we need that money for the IRS just so they can watch people with, with crypto. Probably. I mean, how are they going to monitor? That's, that's going to be another. Interesting to talk to some people. I, so I ask people about this question on the capital gains issue all the time. And they say, it's not that big a deal, Kelly. But we, that, watch the stable coins. All the stuff that's happening on exchanges where they think the IRS isn't watching, isn't paying attention. It doesn't matter. Give it three. They, you know, they always catch up with it. Yep. They always do. 
they always do. Well, I just was I just happy to have you here. You know that. And, and you, you probably were. Could you sleep last night? Or, or the excitement was because uh, we, we like to, to be together. On this this is a treat. Let me tell you, yesterday for everybody, did it not feel like 2020 all over again? We were stuck in the house. Felt like we couldn't. Usually we just go take the kids. We go to Home Depot and wander around or something. I felt like I couldn't even do that. You know, because the stupid Delta, I, you know, it's nice even just to sit here, have some sense of normalcy, but... I'm a swashbuckler. I, I was at a wedding Saturday night in Boston. Mm-hmm. So I drove down in the hurricane yesterday with my kids and my wife, oh my so God. I was not hunkered down. Did you ever have COVID or you're just vaccinated? Oh, I'm a double vaxxed. Uh, I got the day that I could have been, that's why I said the good news and bad news. Good news is that I'm able to get the vax. Bad news is I'm able to get the vax because I was in that first, <laughs> I was in that first group that, that was eligible. I got it in January. Second one in February. At fe- two, plus, two plus eight is 10. If they come to me and say, here's your booster. Yeah. I love myth. You know, I, I get grief from crazy people about uh, talking up the mRNA viruses. We have Francis Collins on today. Yes, too, so yes. it'd be good to talk. Uh, to him about this, but the technology is, is so elegant, and you know I see the the anecdotal stories of things happening, and I don't know how to tie things to that, but I see some anecdotal things happening about people who actually get COVID. This scares the heck out of me. So well, they, don't they, go into it because my husband had it. You got to pick boys one versus it, the other. Like, if you got to pick one versus the other, the, go with the vaccine. But I would I would also be curious long term. So my mom, for instance, got it breakthrough, and the you know, half our family got it. My mom, who was double vax, got it. So I think maybe we all had Delta. This was in May, and I wonder what are the effects of people like that who got it. Are you they, didn't have. You have. I, I guess I never had it. But the, uh, Eric had it? Yeah, because I got my vaccine two weeks earlier than him, and he got it in How between his, dose uh, one and two. We, we're gonna, we, we might just talk till nine like this. <laughs> uh, no, what, how was his experience? Was it uh, hideous? He, or? He, he definitely had sort of like a bad flu. It got to day three or five. And we but no of, hospitalization? Though. No. He's a no. young strapper. He's, I know. He should be good. I should have been nicer, but yeah. That goes without saying. It was probably, stressful. Yeah. It yeah. was a stress. It should have <laughs> been nicer to him? <laughs> yes. Should, yes. I was like, I can't deal with this. Oh, You're my sick. God. Oh, I thought you were saying, suck it up. Yeah. Um, yeah sort of, yeah. Uh, really? All right. Let's get an update now uh, on Tropical Storm Henri. I can just look out here to tell you what's going on, uh, actually. It is raining, uh, but it was downgraded from a hurricane before making landfall yesterday in Rhode Island, uh, sparing the region its first direct hit from a hurricane in three decades. The storm uh, cut power to more than 135,000 customers from New Jersey all the way up to Maine. And made the trek from what uh, north of Boston down here uh, this morning. It, it a lot of a lot of rain driving, a, and I took a Parkway, which is better. You it know looks that, as bad why do cars now. drive on the Parkway and but park, you park, park up never yeah, yeah. This morning the storm's moving inland. It's expected to weaken further as it turns and heads northeast across northern Connecticut and southern Massachusetts. The slower speed poses a greater risk from it just sits there and. Uh, I was watching. It was a, for a while. It was at about 0.4 inches per hour, and I, there is a pool around my house, and I was <laughs> a moat. No, no, it's a no. There's a pool. I have a pool that is. If it, it, it's like this right now, and my fingers are crossed because when it does overflow. All the surrounding stuff goes into it. But so. I will say driving in, it was not as bad as I feared, although it looks pretty bad right now. Did you hear about Nashville, Did you though? you drive yourself in? I, this morning I had to. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, uh, the Rachel Maddow of CNBC drives herself <laughs> like in. Like I said, this is your story, not mine. <laughs> right. and, and in Nashville, the flooding that they got, yeah. houses swept away, elementary schools underwater, 17 inches of what, you know. Unbelievable. Not, we did not get that. 
We did not. Get no, that. we didn't. President Biden announcing his picks for several key diplomatic posts. And two of the names will be familiar to Squawk viewers. Nicholas Burns is the president's pick for ambassador to China. He served as ambassador to NATO and to Greece. He worked with China as an undersecretary on a wide range of issues. He's also a former CBC contributor who has helped us cover international affairs. And Rahm Emanuel is the president's pick for ambassador to Japan. He served, of course, as chief of staff to President Obama and mayor of Chicago. Second Emmanuel we've met, mentioned already today. Maybe we'll get Zeke in uh, <laughs> right. at some point. Talk about uh, what happened there. They overachievers. In terms of the picks? But those no, are- in terms of those three brothers all being oh. so Zeke yeah. Emmanuel, Rahm Emanuel, Ari. New York uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo is expected to relinquish uh, his office at 11.59 p.m. Uh, tonight he spent recent days signing bills and granting clemency uh, to prison inmates as workers moved his belongings from the executive mansion to a rented U-Haul. That sounds horrible. Uh, just As long as he's not driving it himself. Right. He, he announced his resignation uh, after a state attorney general report uh, found he sexually harassed at least 11 women. The governor called the accusations of harassment and misconduct uh, unfair and untrue. Uh, and Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul has been uh, meeting with state officials and building a cabinet over the past uh, two weeks. She's scheduled to take the oath of office tomorrow. Next on Squawk Pod, the Delta variant is ticking up among children. But will full vaccine approval from the FDA stem the COVID tide? Director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins. FDA is being very tough on the companies that are proposing to offer this to kids under 12, saying you got to try this in a very rigorous trial for thousands of kids, and we got to look at that data very carefully, and only then are we willing to allow it. I think that's the right thing to do. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stand by, Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. One is Mike Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Kelly Evans. Say it anymore. Becky and, uh, and Andrew are off today. You don't need a publicist, do you? you no, I have you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, if you weren't watching in the six, I may have referred to Kelly as the Rachel Maddow of CNBC. Uh, and that is the news that we saw. We're not, we're not really uh, putting that no in the No one would understand that analogy. She hosts a primetime show. This is She's a very well thought of uh, <laughs> talent at MSNBC that's important to the network. Why is that not clear to and you? This, that is that's why, the, this is why the story is important to Joe this are. morning. <laughs> Here's, <laughs> here, no, I'm happy. Happy she's staying. Happy for MSNBC. Happy for Jeff and Caesar and everybody else and Ari. And, it, it's and are nice you, to see. Uh, you looking at any options you want to no, tell not, us about? No, I'm not. No, I just am happy. Uh, for our sister. Sure. Here's what's making headlines uh, at this hour. The FDA has reportedly said to grant full approval for the COVID-19 vaccine produced by Pfizer and BioNTech. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are currently being administered under an EUA, an emergency use uh, authorization. We'll see whether that, um, that increases the pace at which we're vaccinating people that, that are still 
unvaccinated. And younger kids, is that the holdup? I just think that there are places where there's too many unvaccinated people. There are, and, t- and I'm not saying it in a political or geographic way, but whatever, for whatever reason, there are places. And not only does it uh, potentially uh, you know, cause hotspots for the, for the virus, but it is a breeding ground for, for new variants, which could affect people that are already vaccinated. So we're going to be doing this again and again and again. But you're saying you think the full approval is going to change that situation? That's the, that's the question, whether, the, whether people then say, and I'm not sure it will, because people who have, if you can't figure out that the potential side effects versus what happens with COVID, that, you know, you probably, for me, I mean, it was so, you, you read about long haulers, you read about, ICUs and ventilators and not coming off ventilators and side of all those things. And, and to take that off the table, mostly, I mean, it's it's up to your immune system. That's what we have to, you know, keep stressing to people. This is not a therapeutic. You don't it doesn't kill the virus. That's not what vaccines do. They stimulate your immune system so that you can then kill it. So if your immune system, if there's any problems, there's going to be breakthroughs because it's up to you once you get the vaccine to for your immune system to uh, to take care of things. But hopefully it's weird, though, because it's even as we're trying to figure, you know, the AstraZeneca versus the Pfizer in order, you know, for Delta, for all of us who got Pfizer, you think, well, would it have been, you know? No, get, then mix, you, you, you know, I, I do know people that have gotten a Moderna and then a Pfizer or, yeah. uh, you know, that have mixed it. I, I don't know. They're, if you're anti-vaccine, you're anti-vaccine. There's yeah. just no to it. It doesn't matter whether it's AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer. And, and any adverse consequence, even though there's been tens of millions administered, if you get three unexplained cases, that's what you're going to see on Twitter, right? It, it's a little bit maddening. Joining us now for more on the state of the pandemic and what full approval could mean, Director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Collins, welcome. Does full approval unlock uh, vaccination availability to younger kids? Well, no. Let's be clear. The full approval means that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which has been available under emergency use for individuals 16 and older, will now have full approval. It'll still be emergency use for 12 to 15-year-olds. And those under 12, that process is still underway to try to figure out what would be the safe and effective dose. And that will be probably a couple more months. But the big news today is that this uh, coming announcement will say that if you had any doubts about whether the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is safe and effective, and most of us haven't had those doubts, but let's, let's be sure we've checked every box here. FDA is going to tell us, it seems, that those doubts can be removed. And the hope for all of us who are looking what's happening in our country is that that will be one more reason for those 90 million people who have still not gotten their first dose to say, okay, I guess it's time. At least I sure hope a lot of them will be. Polls have indicated that has been an issue that's been holding some people back. And I hope they'll be now feeling fully released into confidence to roll up their sleeves because we have a terrible surge happening right now across the country. 150,000 cases a day. We didn't think we would see that again. And here we are because of Delta and because of all those unvaccinated folks who are sitting ducks for this particular variant, which is out there looking for them. So don't waste a minute. If that's the thing that's been holding you back and they announced this today, uh, find that place near to you. It's not hard. Go to vaccines.gov. It'll tell you where to go and get that immunization started. Let me just ask you a follow-up question, though, about kids, because for many people, this is kind of going to unlock, you know, 
what they're able to do and the way that they're arranging their lives even over the next nine months, the next school year. So on the one hand, you're saying we're going to get full approval from the FDA. Everybody who's unvaccinated should go ahead and get it and so forth. But on the other hand, what are we waiting for in order to administer this to younger uh, to younger kids? Is it that we didn't have enough trials with uh, their inclusion? You know, why is this taking so long for all those parents who are about to send their kids back to school now for a virus that seems to be more dangerous to kids than alpha was against which they're left with no protection other than masks? which is difficult enough for people to sustain for a long period of time if they're going back to school full time in the fall. So just explain to us why this is such a a large, glaring omission. Well, I wouldn't call it an omission, Kelly. I would say we want to be really careful in terms of administering something to kids under 12. And that's the place that's still having the studies done. But let me be clear, though. If you're talking about kids between 12 and 15, they can get immunized right now. Sadly, only about a third of them seem to have gotten those doses, even as school is starting. That's a lot of schoolrooms that could be protected if those parents would decide, yeah, let's get our kids done. My grandkids have certainly had those jabs. The kids under 12, though, remember, kids are not just miniature adults. Their metabolism and physiology is different. Do you give the same dose, 100 micrograms, uh, that you would uh, to an adult, or do you scale it down? And if so, by how much? Are there any surprise side effects that you want to watch for? So FDA is being very tough on the companies that are proposing to offer this to kids under 12, saying you got to try this in a very rigorous trial for thousands of kids, and we got to look at that data very carefully, and only then are we willing to allow it. And I think that's the right thing to do. I know people are impatient. Good knows I am too. And I know they're tired of things like having to wear masks in school, but right now, if you want to keep your kids safe, that's part of the answer too. Doctor, you're still frustrated with with China's response. I'm looking back uh, through the news at how many times you've said uh, we need more transparency and China needs to open up on on the investigation. Any progress being made since you said it in May, in June, in July? Uh, It's now August. Have we gotten anywhere? We've gone backwards, I think. China basically refused to consider another WHO investigation, just said, nope, not interested. Now, it will be an interesting week because uh, tomorrow is the day of the 90-day deadline that President Biden set for the intelligence community to do all their poking around that they could to see if they could come up with any more insights as to how this virus got started in China And that's all going to be pretty classified, I suspect. But there will be some information coming out of that. NIH has worked very closely to provide every kind of information to that intelligence group. And we don't know what they're going to come up with either, but we're intensely interested. I was excited to have you on with all the work you did on on the Human Genome Project. And one of the reasons is to try to clear up some things for me when things are presented uh, factually and they say that this is is true. And then I'm not really sure. But there was an article written by a couple of scientists in the journal, uh, Wall Street Journal, a couple months ago about something called a double CGG nucleotide <laughs> sequence that I know that, that you know about that doesn't occur in nature. And there would have been 35 other ways for the virus to code for arginine arginine. And I know we're getting too uh, in the weeds here, but, but it would not have occurred naturally. And it, it indicated to these guys that it was spliced in to the Wuhan virus uh, genome. Are they wrong? Was that totally just crap? 
They're way outside the data here. Uh, yeah, I love getting into these weeds, Joe. So, yeah, there are various ways that you can code for an arginine amino acid. And CGG happens to be one of them that isn't used as often. But it is used. It's not like it never happens. But it never Indeed. happened in a coronavirus before that these guys said. Uh, the, well, the double, the, the two of them together would be, I don't know what the odds are for picking that way out of 35 to do it twice, that the odds would be very high. I don't agree. I actually think they did some math there that was a little bit fanciful. And if you talk to every virologist, except those folks <laughs> that I have talked to about this, they think that the finding of those codons is nothing to get that how excited about, about. How about David Baltimore? I know you, he, he was one of my professors and, and uh, he actually looked like he Looked like he was leaning towards possibly that it was a lab escape. And then it looked like he sort of moderated his his viewpoint. I think he had an immediate knee jerk reaction about, oh, well, that's interesting. And then he backed off and said, you know, that is not that big a deal to draw such a sweeping conclusion about this having been lab engineered. The vast evidence from other perspectives says, no, this was a naturally occurring virus. Not to say that it could not have been under study secretly at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and got out of there. We don't know about that. But the virus itself does not have the earmarks of having been created intentionally by human work. I had one more more question, the the semantic question about gain of function. So I'm trying to figure out if you're studying a bat genome and you're studying it to, to find out how it would jump to humans, wouldn't you, by definition, be looking at the way it would gain that function to go to humans? So to say that if, if we're funding this research in Wuhan that's looking at bat genomes, why is that not gain of function if that's what they're actually looking for to see how? Wouldn't there be some research that was being done on the spike protein or on the way that it attaches to, to, to bat cells versus human cells? Isn't that just semantics to say it wasn't gain of function research, doctor? So, Joe, we get into all kinds of issues here about terms and uh, definitions and uh, terms of art. Gain of function. You know, you just reported Pfizer has bought Trillium. Uh, What does Trillium do? It does gain of function research uh, to try to treat cancer. That's a very broad approach to lots of things. The kind of gain of function research that's under very careful scrutiny is when you take a pathogen for humans and you do something with it that would enhance its virulence or its transmissibility. They were not studying a pathogen that was a pathogen for humans. These were bat viruses. So by the strict definition, and this was looked at exquisitely carefully uh, by all of the reviewers of that research in anticipation that this might come up, was that this did not meet the official description of what's called gain-of-function research that requires that oversight. I know this has gotten a lot of attention. That's weird, though, because... If it's if it's a, not a naturally occurring human pathogen, but it becomes a human pathogen based on research that was being done, I don't see how that that's a good enough uh, uh, delineation to not call it gain of function. Joe, it did not become a human pathogen based on this uh, business of shifting spike proteins from one f- uh, backbone to another. This was interesting work to try to understand something about that family of bat viruses. If, again, it, this- if it was spliced in, if CGG, CGG was spliced in, that would have been gain-of-function research, right? I mean, if they actually tried to get that to, 
to see if they could get it to infect human cells. Again, it would have to be that this was a human pathogen, which was altered in a way to enhance its transmissibility or its virulence. And again, that's pretty fanciful. I I think, Joe, those CGGs need to be kind of set aside as an indication of any particular malfeasance. That looks very much to the rest of us. Is there anything left in China that will uh, tell us once and for all what happened, doctor? Is it well, too late? Wouldn't it be, yeah, wouldn't it be good if they'd actually open up their lab books and let us know what they were actually doing? We may never know. find out more about those cases of people who got sick in November of 2019. Right. About which we really in the lab. Right. In the lab. We'll never know, though. Do you think they've, they've already, they've, they've mopped it up and gotten rid of the stuff and we're done? We're we're never going to know. I don't know. I'm going to be really interested to see if the intelligence community has been able to snoop out some information about those things. Well, I'm ex- as you are, how excited are you about messenger RNA uh, in the application and even therapeutics? It's going to be a great, we have a great future, don't we? We may be talking, in a, we may be talking in a hundred years, doctor. We may, we, may be talk, we may be talking in a hundred years and I look forward to it, doctor. <laughs> Think what this mRNA might do for cancer vaccines. That's what I mean. It's exciting. Yeah. It's great. Okay. I have, I have more to say. I do. I would like to talk to him more, but I can't. Maybe later. Come back. And if okay, you can talk. I'd love okay. To. okay. Cheese will be next. Still to come on Squawk Pod, Jeopardy! In Jeopardy! The saga for Alex Trebek's successor, Variety co-editor-in-chief Cynthia Littleton joins us. It has also reinforced how much America and the world loves this show, feels invested in this show, and felt invested as if the fans should and will have a say. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. This beloved television quiz show is decades deep and now hostless. Answer? What is Jeopardy? The syndicated game show is searching still for a new full-time host. Following a series of celebrity guest hosts and a much-discussed search process, Jeopardy! executive producer Mike Richards had been announced as the replacement for the late Alex Trebek, who had helmed Jeopardy! since 1984, 20 years into its run. And nine days after Richards' announcement, in a dramatic twist, he was out when controversial statements he made on an old podcast series resurfaced. The Richards' announcement... The boss, essentially choosing himself for a plum gig, had already dinged the shininess of the Jeopardy! brand and its enviable legacy in entertainment. People love this show. It's been on for years, reminding us of earlier eras in popular culture. Deep in the 90s, I took the test for the teen tournament in a Midwestern hotel ballroom. And yes, I still remember a key question that I missed. Jeopardy! and its sibling in syndication, Wheel of Fortune, earn about $125 million in annual profit for parent company Sony. And viewers watch it live when it is broadcast on hundreds of local stations across the country. Plus the pandemic. How many more people were home in the evening and able to keep an appointment with Jeopardy! 
So, what's next? Another lineup of tryout hosts? CNBC's David Faber got a shot earlier this month. Here's Kelly Evans. To rave reviews, by the way, and I'm, I'm conflicted because I want him desperately to do it, Joe, but, that, but then he would not be able to be here with us, which would be a huge loss. Anyway, joining us now to discuss what happens next, Cynthia Littleton is co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Cynthia, I think there's potentially big ramifications here. You could say for the parent company in terms of the cash flows, you know, if we sort of assume or, want or speculate that viewers could really tune out. I also think there's implications for linear TV, given that this is one of the last sort of scheduled TV events. You know, my, in my own family, my grandfather, my dad, everybody, they, they sit together in front of the TV and they watch this and who knows what happens after Pat and Vanna, you know, if they end up handing over the reins as well. And you have this this major transition, Cynthia. Do you think it's a, a risk here? I think very much so. Um, this whole drama that nobody could have predicted around Jeopardy has certainly been it's for certainly been a black eye for Sony Pictures, the producer and owner, primary owner of Jeopardy. But it has also in another way, it has reinforced how much America And the world loves this show, feels invested in this show and felt invested as if it as if the fans should and and will have a say in the final search for the final permanent host in this situation. It's really an extraordinary kind of outpouring that that kind of just reflects all of the cross currents in media right now. What happens if just 10 or 20 percent of the viewers that have been tuning into these two series go away. I mean, talk us through the implications. Well, as you mentioned, I mean, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune are one of the few um, existing, they've transcended TV shows at this point. They're kind of institutions. They're part of the fabric of TV. They're one of the few Monday through Friday shows that reliably draw millions and millions of viewers, particularly live viewers, which in a world of fragmented viewing and on-demand and streaming, something that draws a big crowd on a regular basis has real value to advertisers. So there's significant risk here for Sony Pictures and CBS, which also owns a portion of Jeopardy. Yeah, and as as a colleague of ours I was talking to the other day said, you know, this just gives me an excuse not to watch. So from their point of view, what's the best way to kind of smoothly deal with the situation and, and make sure that you're not permanently alienating a whole generation, perhaps, of viewers. It's tricky. It's absolutely tricky. And, and, and this whole process has shown how hard it is to pass the baton from a beloved host like an Alex Trebek. I think they go back to the drawing board on some level. They had a, an, a long run of guest hosts starting in January, including CNBC's own David Faber, who did rate very, very highly on, on many of the fan surveys. Um, I think they go back to they have a pool of people that have had on air editions. I do think they cast a wider net this time and look look outside of that pool of guest hosts. But it is no question a lot of scrutiny on this process, even more so than the first time around. And that definitely has to raise the stakes and the tension for the people that are calling these shots. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine it's a. Even though these cash flows, they don't really move the needle for Sony, or do they? No, a Sony corporation as a company has and has been battling way bigger challenges. Jeopardy is a reliable cash engine for the company. It's so entrenched. And I suspect that Jeopardy in its format, all of this, I think, has proven it's strong enough to endure this small period of controversy 
And if anything, it, it, in some way, it emerges even stronger. Well, this has been like the, the sub-theme of the last <laughs> the importance of host. Cynthia, we, uh, again, really appreciate having you here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. There was a time when uh, Art Fleming was not going to be able to be replaced. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Art Fleming was the first was the host of Jeopardy when I was a kid. He was. I used to watch it when I went home for, uh, with a tray table. One of those tray tables where you have lunch. Yes. And it was on, during the, it was on at like noon. And did people say? Art Fleming. Not, it went away for a while, I think, and then came back much bigger and better. And that's the podcast for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at Squawk CNBC, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.